1: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. L'chaim, l'chaim. L'chaim, l'chaim. L'chaim, l'chaim. l'chaim, l'chaim. We're about to conclude the first part of the Tanya, the longest part of the Tanya, if you will, the foundation of the whole Tanya. It's 53 chapters plus the introduction. But here we are. It's a very festive moment, a very joyful moment. If you live long enough, <laughs> um, you get to live <laughs> and experience. Uh, the excitement of making a seum, of concluding. And Al-Tarebi goes back, in the end of chapter 53, at the end of the Tani, he goes back to the question that he posed in chapter 35, which launched the next 18 chapters. After explaining in the first 35 chapters how Judaism is something that's very dear and near to each and every Jew, that Judaism is not just... An activity It's not just an obligation, a duty, that Jews are religiously bound to fulfill and obey the commandments. But something much deeper, much more profound is going on. Mitzvah is something that's godly. And because a Jew, his very essence is godly, therefore we do a mitzvah, we do godly things because our essence is godly. So we want to behave and think and act and speak in a way that's consistent with our true nature, our core and essential nature. When you strip away the truth, his very essence, his naked essence, what do you find? You define that raw, godly nature. In moments of truth, it's fully exposed. There's like a nerve that's deep down. Many times it's subconscious. And we can go through our entire life and not be aware of it. But it's there deep down. The non drew of course, always sees it. They're not fooled for a moment. But we sometimes forget. But in the moment of truth, when a Jew is challenged, his Jewishness, even a Jew is assimilated and intermarried in the moment of truth. As Danny Pearl, right before he died, before, unfortunately, tragically, he was slaughtered in the most brutal way. And he, he yelled out, and he was an intermarried Jew, and yet he yelled out, I'm a Jew. And that was his last words. My Yisrael, yes because in the moment of truth that essence is always there and it comes out and even a Jew who lived a life for years and decades who's been addicted addicted to materialism has been completely drowned and gave up the battle gave up the good fight completely succumbed to his baser natures and just gave up the fight and abandoned any connection to anything Jewish in the moment of truth all those bound, all those ropes just melt away and that essence comes roaring to the surface to the front of your consciousness which tells us that all along that was your essence you deluded yourself you thought that being Jewish meant nothing but in the moment of truth, the truth comes out that being Jewish is the most important thing and therefore we do a mitzvah why do we do a mitzvah? because a mitzvah is godly when you tell the truth, you're acting godly when you act respectively, you're acting godly when you act lovingly and kind, you're acting godly. So you do a mitzvah because you're godly, and therefore you want to do and fill your life with godliness, with godly things, godly behavior, godly thoughts, and godly speech. 24-7. So this is how, what Al Altarebi explained in the first 34 chapters. Which led him to, in the chapter 25, he posed a very troubling question. To the true sensitive soul and seeker, you can't help but ask yourself after this whole introduction of the first 34 chapters of Etanya there's something that has to trouble you and has to bother you and very profoundly disturbing that is why is it that it appears that godliness and goodness seem to be so weak so fragile so vulnerable it's almost as if we're on the losing side If godliness is the essence, and it's so deep, and it's so profound, and it's so powerful, why is it that it appears to be such a loser? Because look at this world. The world that we live in is so ungodly. It's the antithesis of godliness the essence of self-centeredness, of self-absorption, of addictions, self-destructive behaviors, cruelty, even demonic behavior. And no matter how many mitzvot, you can spend your whole life studying Torah, and you can spend your whole life doing mitzvot. How many times did you light a Shabbat candle throughout your lifetime? How many times did you give a penny to tzedakah throughout your lifetime? How much Torah did you study? How many Shabbatot did you keep? How many acts of goodness and kindness did you do? And yet, our ego doesn't budge. (laughs) Not a dent. Not a scrape. Nothing to show for it. (laughs) As if all the learning and all the sacrifice and all the commitment, it's like talking to the wall. Is it so fragile? So helpless, so weak. Are we on the winning side or are we on the losing side? And this is even reflected in Jewish law. Jewish law states what happens when someone pure touches something impure? What happens? The moment you touch it, even with your fingernail, I hear it's still connected to your head. if it touches it as long as it touches the object you become the entire person becomes impure is that logical does that make sense no why isn't it the reverse it should have been just the opposite the moment something impure touches something pure is completely transformed and becomes pure it doesn't work that way something impure touches pure the impurity remains impure and what happens in the reverse The the purity is gone. The person loses his purity just by contact, with a mere touch. Which is the stronger side here? Which is the winning side? Is godliness, purity, holiness so weak, so fragile? And we can spend our whole life, the Benini, the hero of the Tanya, spends his whole life sincerely, with great effort, studying and praying and doing mitzvot, and his whole life is engaged and occupied, leading a Jewish life 24-7. And yet, does it change us? Does it transform us? No. The older we get, the more food we've eaten, the more we've lived a materialistic life, the more strengthened our ego is only strengthened. We grow more comfortable, more complacent. It's much more difficult to capture that youthful innocence and purity and wholesomeness. We grow jaded. So this is a very profoundly disturbing question. What's the point? What's the purpose? Why is it that godliness is so weak? If this is the greatest thing and this is so dear and near to us and this is so close to us and this is our essence and this is what we deep down, this is what we desire and this is what we're all about and we express it by living a Jewish godly life day in, day out, 24-7. Why isn't it reflected in our realities, in our personal realities from the world around us? We've been pouring Torah and Mitzvot for 3,323 years. And What? the viciousness, the evil the anti-Semitism has it abated? has anything changed? look at the way the world treats Israel has anything changed? so what's going on here? this is not just an intellectual question it has to disturb you it disturbs your peace Which, which side am I on? am I on? Is Judaism's godliness so fragile, so weak, so vulnerable? And Al spends the next 18 chapters and he quotes the Zohar. The Zohar says, King Solomon says the wise man always has to look, has his eyes on his head. Only a wise man has his eyes in his head. <laughs> People are not wise, don't have eyes, have eyes, where do they have their eyes? And you need King Solomon, the wisest of the men. What's he talking about? What's King Solomon telling us here? What insight is he sharing with us here? The wise man, his eyes are in his head. It's a brilliant statement. Only King Solomon noticed that the eyes are in your head. So the Zohar says, King Solomon is saying, that the wise man has his eyes on what's over your head. What's over your head? Every Jew has over his head the the Shekhinah, God's presence, which is why we wear a yarmulke, because out of respect for the Shekhinah, it's hovering over our head. A woman has it innately. She doesn't need the external yarmulke, but we men need the external yarmulke to express our humility and to express the presence of Hashem. So King Solomon is saying, that the wise man has his eye on what's over his head, what's hovering over his head, which is the Shekhinah, God's presence, God's light. But this light, as King Solomon says elsewhere, this light need oil, something to feed this light. What's the oil that feeds this light? Your soul is not enough. Your soul is not material that could become, that could fuel this fire, that could become one with this fire with your soul, as spiritual as you may be, as mystical as you may be, as sublime as you may be, you're a soul, you're an entity. By definition, you're already a contradiction to God. Because God is an absolute unity. There's nothing else but God. So the moment there's a soul that knows God and feels God and wants to relate to God, you're already disconnected. You're not the material, you're not the oil that could become absorbed within the fire. You can't become one with the fire. You're a contradiction to the fire. Your soul, by its very being, is a contradiction to the fire. You could be the most mystical person on earth, the most Kabbalistic person on earth. Your whole being is a contradiction to God. You can't become one with God. The only way you can become absorbed with God is only one way. Through Torah and especially mitzvot. Why? Because the mitzvah is divine. The mitzvah, this is God's will. God and His will are one. So when you study Torah, when you do a mitzvah, you are, this is godly. So this is the oil that could become absorbed in the flame. So that's what King Solomon is saying. The wise man has his eyes and the, a light that's hovering over him. But in order to feed the light, make sure to give the oil that will feed the light. And now the Alter Rebbe is coming back. to, to And he finishes the Tanya with this idea, with this thought. What's the idea of oil? Why oil? Oil represents wisdom. And here the Zohar is saying that oil represents good deeds, actions, mitzvot, putting on the tfil and lighting the candle. That it's not enough the wisdom to study the Torah, it's the deed that matters most. So, in order to understand this, Al Rebbe explained mm-hmm. the idea of Shekhinah. What is the Shekhinah? The Shekhinah, the light that hovers over us. What is the Shekhinah? and he explains he says people make a mistake people think that the Shekhinah means that God is revealed throughout the world God is hidden but the Shekhinah is when God is no longer hidden when God is revealed Trevis says no that's a wrong understanding of Shekhinah because what you're saying is there's no change it's just I didn't know it and now I know it Before there was a curtain, I didn't see, and I removed the curtain, now I see. It was God, is everywhere. But you don't see it, you don't feel it. When you say the Shechina, God's presence in the temple, there I feel it. He says, no, that's a wrong understanding. And he uses what's the correct understanding? He uses the analogy of the human soul, of our own personal experience. The soul that animates us, that we're, we're alive. When the soul comes in contact with the body, the body comes alive. And the body has many different activities. We walk and we talk and we think and we feel and we understand. So we feel we're alive, we're active. As we go about our lives throughout the day, we feel that we're alive. But that's just a small part of it. Because where does this all originate? We're not a machine, we're not compartmentalized. We're not a composite of bones and and, and different abilities. It's one soul. It's one indivisible soul. It's one soul that talks and walks and thinks and feels and understands and comprehends and wants and, and finds pleasure. It's one entity. Where is that one entity manifest? Where do we sense that it's really one? That's in the brain that's why the brain is the command and control center of the whole body the, man, the brain coordinates the whole body because the brain senses the soul it's not a detail but the whole that's greater than the sum total of its parts that's what we feel the first moment you wake up in the morning you're conscious of self what are you conscious of? you haven't walked, you haven't talked you don't have to touch yourself to know that you're there you don't have to see yourself in the mirror you're alive, what alive? what's that life that you feel? That's the center of life. That's your core and essence that transcends the whole, that's greater than some total of its parts. Everything that you do, all the activities flow from that center, from that essence. That's the beginning of consciousness. Where is that consciousness? In the mind, in the brain. That's why the brain is the leader. That's why all Jewish leaders also had to have brains, they had to be brilliant. Besides being holy and spiritual, a leader has to be brilliant. It's very nice. We love everyone and everyone is equal. Every organ in the body is unique, but the brain is the brain. <laughs> Don't when the foot when you start walking on your head and make the foot the head, we're in trouble. Many societies in their in their distorted concepts of egalitarianism decided to make the head the foot the head. When the foot starts being the head and the head is on the floor, you have an upside down society. So the brain is what senses the whole the soul. And every organ only takes one little part. It's almost like the light of the sun leaving the sun. But the brain has the sun. You can't compare the light that emanates from the sun, the part of the soul that animates the brain to comprehend, the heart to feel, the legs and the hands, and every organ in the body to function in its own unique, unique way. You can't compare the light that emanates from the sun to the sun itself. That's the idea of Shekhinah. Shekhinah is not just the revelation of godliness that's there but you don't feel it. The Shekhinah is the essence. The whole that contains all the details. The whole that's greater than the sum total of its parts. So when a Jew studies Torah, you're not just revealing something that's there. You're introducing A level of godliness that you can't find in this fragmented world. Because in this fragmented world that we live in, every entity has its own individual divine energy, divine life force. But the whole, you can't get the whole. What's the vessel to receive the whole? The brain. What's the brain? God's wisdom, the Torah. The Torah is the vessel that contains the whole. It's the holy of holies. It's the center of the world. So when a Jew is sitting at home and studying Torah, you're introducing, you're revealing God's essence into this world. You're revealing a level that cannot and doesn't exist in this world, that you can't find in this world, because this world is too fragmented, too limited to, to receive. Just like the hand and every organ in the body could only receive its own individual life force. It can not sense the whole. Only the brain can sense the whole. So only when a Jew studies Torah do you have the ability to bring down, to draw down the Shekhinah into this world. Which begs the question. So then, it should be enough to study Torah. Why do you need mitzvah? True, mitzvot are also divine wisdom, and therefore the mitzvah could contain the shechina. When you do a mitzvah, you draw down the shechina, you draw down God's essence into this world. But when you study Torah, also you're studying God's wisdom. Why isn't it enough to study Torah? Why do you need to do the mitzvah, to act, to speak? When you pray, you have to move your lips. You have to speak. When you study Torah, you have to move your lips. You have to, you have to physically do an act. It's not enough to think the Torah, to meditate on the Torah. You have to speak. They have to do something physical. Why? Why is it so important? Why is that the main thing in Judaism, the mitzvah, the act, more than anything else? Even the tzaddik has to act. The Rebbe explains that the reason is because it's true that wisdom... Contains, wisdom is the brain that contains the Shekhinah. is the vessel that contains this tremendous revelation, this sun, this essence of godliness. But what arouses the drawing down of this level? The only thing that arouses the drawing down of this level is the action. Why? Because the person is compared to a candle. and That's the analogy that the Zohar uses. A candle has a few ingredients. In order to make the fire, you have a few ingredients. You have the oil, but then you have the wick. What happens when you have the wick without the oil? You have a fire, but you don't have a candle. To have a sustainable light, a candle, you need a wick with oil. Then the oil feeds. The wick, when the wick is soaked in oil and it's connected to the oil, then it feeds the flame. And then you have a beautiful flame that continuously lights up the night, the darkness. If you have no oil, you have a fire. You don't have a candle. Oil itself also is not enough. You need the wick. And it's the wick that keeps the flame going. Because not only are you lighting up the night you're illuminating the darkness, but you're transforming the darkness of the wick. The wick is darkness. The wick is the opposite of light. The wick is something thick, materialistic. The light is something spiritual. But when you light a candle, you're transforming the wick. And the wick itself is transformed. You release that energy, and the wick is transformed into light, into sustainable light. It's that transformation that causes the light. It's that transformation that evokes a response from God that draws down the essence of God. The transformation of something materialistic, of something dark, of something that's the antithesis of energy of light. Something that's coarse, crass, materialistic. And by taking that and transforming that, lighting it up, that evokes the fire, that evokes the shechina, And that's what's able to contain the Shina. The the oil is what contains the Shina. Because it's divine. The mitzvah is God's wisdom. The Torah is God's wisdom. And that's why even the tzaddik has to fulfill the mitzvah in action. It's not enough that the tzaddik has transformed his darkness. Because the tzaddik has completely transformed his ego, transformed it into godly. His whole being has become godly. But it's not enough he also needs to do, to act, to put the tefillin on, to shake the lulav in the yashvik, to eat the matzah. He can sit in ecstasy. It's not enough. It's only the act. But of course, when the tzaddik, who has completely transformed his whole being, when he does a mitzvah, his oil is super, super virgin, olive virgin oil, very special oil, that the flame is just spectacular. There's something very special about that flame. That's why it's also important how we do the mitzvah. You can't do the mitzvah arrogantly, egotistically. You have to be a chassid. You have to do the mitzvah egolessly, with with refinement, with sensitivity, with love, with passion. You have to be a chassidic drew. It's not enough just to do the mitzvah (laughs) cut and dry, technically, mechanically, soullessly, passionlessly, joyously, harshly, egotistically thinking about your reward, your share in the world to come. You're interfering. The oil has to be fine oil. Pressed. Organic. Wholesome. (laughs) Not manufactured. Fake. Far. Real. You have to be real. The more refined you are, the more deep you are, the more sincere you are, the more genuine you are, the more egoless you are, the more humble you are, the more the oil, the fire, It's a beautiful fire. This is the answer. This is what God wanted. This is the purpose. That's the whole purpose of creation. God wanted us to transform the darkness into light. That's why God is like a fire. God needs us. God is the flame, but we are the wick. So when we are in this world, it appears to be, right now, before Mashiach comes, it appears to be That we're so weak and fragile and vulnerable. And we're getting nowhere. And we're pouring all this energy. 3,323 years of energy. Of constant, non-stop, 24-7. Heroic amount of... Pouring this heroic amount of energy and sacrifice and tears and sincerity and mitzvot and good deeds. And we're drowning the world in mitzvot. And yet, it's not making a dent. But the truth is, every time we do a mitzvot, You're sustaining that oil. You're taking that wick, that materialistic coarse wick, and you're transforming it into light. And you're drawing down the essence of God into this world. So Mashiach is not just something that's going to be in the future. Every time we do a mitzvah today, in these circumstances, in this darkness, especially those Jews who live outside the Holy Land of Israel, a double, triple darkness... And within this environment, and using and dealing with our own egotistical natures, our own harsh natures, human natures, coarse natures—that's so resistant to change. And when we go ahead every single day of our lives, every mitzvah that we do, we are sustaining the flame. We are drawing down the Shechina. We are drawing down the essence of God. The whole. Is greater than the sum total of its parts, a level of godliness that's like the same level it was in the Holy of Holies. We're drawing it down through our Torah, through our mitzvah. As we go about our daily lives. And this will be revealed on Mashiacham. Come. Mashiach come. All the mitzvah that we've done, especially in the darkness, there will be this intense revelation of godliness, the essence of God, which is greater than the revelation of God in the highest realms.
0: And this is what the Yenka in Zohar quoted in chapter 35 meant when he said that the supernal light that is kindled on, on the Jew's head, namely the Shekhinah, requires oil. That is, to be clothed in wisdom, which is called the oil of the holy anointing, and holy signifies chachma or wisdom, as explained in the Zohar. Thus, the light of the Shekhinah, which is upon one's head, is in need of oil. For example, it must be garbed in Chochmah, for that is the vessel for the light of the Shekinah. Zohi so Zohar then quotes the conclusion of
1: the statement of the Yemaka. And these are the good deeds, namely the 613 commandments, which derive from his wisdom. Torah, which is itself oil, does not suffice. There must also be good deeds. The performance of the mitzvot, although they are only drawn down from wisdom, Thereby, the light of the Shekhinah can cling to the wick, i.e., the vivifying soul in the body, which is metaphorically called a wick. For just as in the case of a material candle, the light shines by virtue of the annihilation and burning of the wick turning to fire, so does the light of the Shekhinah rest on the divine soul, which is the candle. Quote, The soul of man, is the candle of the Lord, end quote. As a result of the annihilation of the animal soul and its transformation from darkness to, of kalipa to light of holiness and from bitterness of kalipa nogat, to sweetness of holiness, in the case of righteousness, for the zikim, as mentioned in chapter 10, are those who transform the essence of the animal soul, its intellect and the motion from evil into goodness and holiness. So the tzaddik is the ultimate transformation. They actually change their egos and their human natures have come completely transformed into something godly. But that's only a handful. Most, the rest of us... Or at least
0: through the destruction of its garments, which are thought, speech, and action, which previously were garments of the vivifying soul... Which is the, soul of the, Kripa. the rest
1: of us, we can only change through action, because the action is done with your body, with the energy that comes from your natural soul, which is your, your physical physical being. So when you take your natural energy, which is all about self-preservation and ego, and use it for something godly, do something godly with it, you're transforming that energy into, into something godly. And
0: in the transformation from the darkness of the people to the divine light, of the heart, uh, which is clothed, clothed and unit, united in the soul, speech, and action of the six, 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 one, three commandments of the Torah
1: in the case of Beinonim.
0: Beinonim, as explained in chapter 12, do not transform the essence of the vivifying soul into goodness and holiness. Only the soul garments of thought, speech, and action are transformed to goodness through being utilized for the thought speech and actions of the Torah and the light. In this sense, the width of the vivifying soul is inaliated and is transformed into the light of For as a result of the transformation of the animal soul, originating from the Nova, from the darkness of people to the light of holiness, and so-called, forth. is brought about the so-called ascent of the feminine water, the spiritual awakening of the initiative of the recipient. Which turn and around
1: and okay, so he's explaining if you need the oil. If the oil represents wisdom. So why do we need mitzvot? Study Torah. You have God's wisdom and that's the vessel to, to contain the Shekhinah, this powerful energy, divine energy, this powerful divine essence. Why do you need the mitzvot? True, mitzvot are also come from God's wisdom. All the mitzvot are based on God's wisdom. But you have the wisdom itself. You have the Torah. Why do you need the mitzvot? And he said even the tzaddik who has completely transformed his being into something godly? That's not enough. You need the act, the action, the thought, the speech, the action. Why? So he says the reason is because we have a concept. God is interactive, it's compared to a, a relationship, a man and a woman. So it's a two way street. The more we evoke, the woman evokes a response. So the more we arouse within ourselves, the more we evoke a response from Hashem. So God is the groom and the Jewish people are the bride. So the more we awaken within ourselves, we achieve a transformation within ourselves. So we draw down the Shechina. The only way to draw down God's essence, to awaken God's essence, so to speak, and to draw it down into this world, is when we achieve a transformation within us. This gets to God, so to speak. This touches God. This touches the essence of God. Now, once God's Shekhinah is drawn down to this world, what contains the Shekhinah? It's God's wisdom. It's the Torah. It's the wisdom of the mitzvah. But you need the action. And even the complete tzaddik also needs the action. Because it's only the action. The novelty of taking something physical, coarse, material the deed, the action, the body and transforming and doing it within a mitzvah and transforming it into something godly and divine, only that has the ability to draw God's Shekina into this world
0: to draw down the light of the Shekina not only like the oil of Kachma and Torah which is but a vessel for receiving the light of the Shina, but actually drawing down the light of the shkina, i.e. revealed light of the Ein Soh, over one's divine soul principally dwelling in the brain of the head That is why the Anuka says, The supernal light that is kindled over one's head requires oil, for the light that is over one's head and intelligence is in need of the oil of the good deeds. Thereby one may clearly understand the text, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. Just as fire can only catch on an object when that object is being consumed by it, so too regarding the light of the Shekhinah. In order for God to become your God, illuminating the Jew's soul, there must be consumption by fire, burning and annihilating the wick of the vivifying soul, so that the soul of uh, Teripah be transformed into the fire of holiness.
1: So in heaven, the angels are burnt up. But it's only in this world that we become a candle. We become a flame, a sustaining flame that lights up the, the night. And in order to achieve that, something has to give. Something has to give. Something has to sacrifice. If the, uh, if the object remains intact, there is no energy, there is no fire, there is no flame. In order to achieve a flame, something has to give. And that sacrifice, that we achieve in this world. So the fact that the world is dark and coarse and crass and the antithesis of godliness, and we take this physical body that's living and operating in this physical world, and we take it and use it to do a mitzvah, to do something godly, So taking the wick and transforming it into something godly, what he calls annihilating the wick, annihilating the materialistic part of it, and using this energy that we got through eating and drinking and doing business and living in a physical home and wearing physical clothes, and then we take all this energy and we pray with it, and we do a mitzvah with it, and we study Torah with it, so it's and moving our lips and doing a physical activity engaging the body engaging our egos engaging our natural self we are annihilating transforming sacrificing giving up only then are we able to draw down Hashem's light the light of Hashem which is this, this essence of Hashem that we draw down into this world it's not just we're revealing something that's there but we can't see and then we reveal it no we're creating an energy we're creating a fire we're revealing something that's not there that without our sacrifice, without our good deeds, without our mitzvah, 24-7. Engaging every part of our physical, every organ in our body, 24-7. And engaging our natural selves and our natural lives. As we go about our natural business and our natural lives, 24-7. Not only on the Shabbos, on the holidays, on holy days, but as we go about on the Wednesday afternoon. And putting a mezuzah up in our doors, and having kosher books in our home, and taking our kitchen and making it kosher, and eating kosher, and drinking kosher, and doing everything in our daily lives, doing business in the kosher way, and as we go about our daily lives and taking the physical world, doing the tefillin and taking the lulav and the ester taking this, these these uh, species and using it and doing a mitzvah with it, taking the leather heart of an animal and writing a mezuzah and writing, taking every part of the physical world and physically doing a mitzvah with it we are bringing that light, creating that light, and feeding and sustaining that light. So this is the whole purpose of creation. So even though we don't feel it, but the fire is there. The Shechina is there. When a Jew studies Torah, the Shechina is there. You're drawing down that fire. You're creating that fire. You're sustaining that flame. You're bringing down the essence of God into this world. We have to realize that we're, what we're doing. We are accomplishing. Every time. We, we appear, we're up against this coarseness, this materialism, this darkness, this the opposite of holiness. And holiness appears to be so weak, and this whispering voice of conscience that we can barely hear. It's drowned out by all this noise and this distraction, which seems to be so loud and so powerful and so successful. And this little, little candle, this little flame... This candle is creating a fire that doesn't exist in this world. We're bringing down the essence of God. Precisely because of this darkness, because we're transforming the darkness, annihilating this darkness, changing. And every time we change, every time we go about our daily lives and do a mitzvah with another organ in our body, we are feeding, and therefore we become a flame. Every Jew is a walking flame that's bringing the light, the fire of Hashem into this world to us and to the world around us and that's why Hashem moves us around because every one of us has a different portion of this world that we have to light up whether it's East 75th Street or on the west side or whatever block whatever building whatever offices you happen to hang out in because we have that responsibility to bring the Shina. like a walking flame Hashem moves us around because we have to bring that flame to every corner of the world and Mashiach will come all of this will burst out into the open all that accumulated energy energy never gets lost all those gems that we've stored and treasured every time you do a mitzvah it's eternal you have drawn down the essence of God into this world you have taken your portion of this world and you take another organ in your body and drawn it down Mashiach will come when the Jew mission accomplished when the Jews have covered all their bases and we've been spread out throughout the world. And you have 5,000 Chabad houses like this all over the world. And we've covered every angle and every corner in the world and brought godliness and holiness into this world. And all the accumulation of all that energy together, we're going to reach a critical mass, a moment when there'll be that sudden, and the light will go on. And suddenly, the flame, will see the flame, we'll see the shinah. we'll see that intense light that will dazzle All the lights in the heaven and the heaven of heavens are nothing in comparison to the essence of God that will be revealed, which is so intense and so powerful, completely dazzle us, and will be completely beyond anything we can even imagine or describe. And all of this will be revealed in this physical world, within each and every one of us in the entire world. And that's when the world will be, once again, the way it once was when God created it, the Garden of Eden, the way it was temporarily at Mount Sinai, once again. And then there will be no death. There will be no hatred, no anti-Semitism, no illness, and no no evil. But evil will be completely eradicated. When the tumors of the world, the Amanajans of the world will be completely destroyed, and all the goodness, all the 70 nations, all 6 billion will be elevated and transformed. And then every single Jew will be responsible for 2,800 non-Jews that you're going to have to teach, personally teach, and they're going to IM you and they're going to email you and they're not going to let you sleep 24-7. <laughs> so you better bone up and start learning because they're very wise and very smart and very educated. And they're going to want to know. They're going to hang to your coattails. They're going to want to listen and learn. Teach me Torah. So every Jew will become a teacher and Israel will become the center of the world. Jerusalem will be the capital of the world and uh, the Temple Mount will be the... Uh, the Temple will be the White House of the world. The center of the world. The Mashiach will be the president and the king of the world. And every Jew will be a prophet, a light unto the nation. So it's imminent, it's any moment, it's time to get our act together and start boning up and learning. Learn a lot of Tanya. Learn it. Learn it again. Relearn it. Because we're going to have a lot of teaching to do. And we're going to have a very hungry, we already have a hungry audience. A huge portion of our listeners and lessons in Tanya.com are non-Jews from all over the world. Those listeners from the Middle East, outside of Israel, are not Jewish. And you never know who's learning and who's listening. And so the hunger is there from Madonna on down. People want to learn Jewish, want to connect with something Jewish. And it's really our responsibility to step up. We're in the ninth inning. All the bases are loaded. and any moment, we're going to hit the home run. And we are going to cross the threshold into Mashiach. And every one of us is going to have to live up to our potential. That light, people are drawn to light. Light doesn't have to impose itself on anyone. You're naturally drawn to light. illuminates, it's warm, it's uplifting, it's inspiring. Every Jew is a walking light, that's what we wear the yarmulke. And this is what we have to live up to. Let's let's finish.
0: As is explained elsewhere, only when a Jew succeeds, nullifying himself to Hashem in a manner where he ceases to exist as an independent entity and is consumed in the flames of godliness only then will he draw down upon himself the light of shechina these are the last words the first part with the help of hashem may he be blessed and exalted amen mazal tov that's part would you say the most important commandment is then to love love your neighbor as because essentially That's how it culminates at the end. As it explained out there, only when a Jew succeeds in nullifying himself to God in a manner where he ceases to exist. Isn't that essentially.
1: That's the heart of the Tanya, literally the 32nd chapter of the Tanya, which is the heart of the Tanya. And I would refer you to go to lessonsintanya.com, chapter 32. It's one of the most profoundest and the very heart of the Tanya. We have four lessons on that chapter. This is really the heart of the Hasidic movement it's all about love your fellow Jew like yourself and i would learn it in great depth you can review it I have four classes on it plus we have in the uh, the other section another two another two classes on the concept of love your fellow Jew like yourself Hasidic philosophy especially the Alter Rebbe who articulates it so well has so much to say on the subject it totally blows your mind away it changes how you look at it, your fellow Jew and teach you to truly love and respect and uh, I would learn it, go, listen
0: I I have a little difficulty because with um, the concept the teaching of the Torah it seems to be very cause and effect someone did something good they had something good happen they did something bad, they had something bad happen this isn't the way that things are in this world you can do a million good things and bad things can happen and vice versa. That's
1: right. Well, the Torah tells us the way things are in reality. In biblical times, people were in tune. When you're so in tune, the moment you put your hand in the socket, it's not a punishment, it's a consequence. You get electrocuted. When you're so in tune... The moment Nadav and Aviyah did one thing wrong, they lost their life. When you're so connected, then it's a reflection of reality. When you're connected to, to godliness, you're alive and you're vibrant and you're healthy and you're successful. That's the theme that runs through the whole Tanakh, the whole story of the prophets. Whenever the Jews were connected, were conscious of the Jewishness, were proud of the Jewishness, they succeeded. They lost their way, they forgot, they became jaded, complacent, they assimilated, Bam, boom, it didn't work. It stopped working. The story of Purim, we just celebrated. The Jews reached their height, their political height. This, this, this put the UGA and, and Apex to shame. They had a queen, a Jewish queen, in, in, in the White House, in, in Ahasuerus' palace. And Mordechai was a big macher, a mover, and shaker. The Jews were secure, they were wealthy, they were invited to the banquet. And look what happened. They're all threatened with total annihilation. Never in Jewish history do we have such a threat. So the Torah is telling us very clearly: for a Jew, nature doesn't work. We don't operate by nature. We are a godly people. The only thing that can secure our survival is godliness. You want to make sure you're successful? Study Torah, do mitzvot give tzedakah, act nicely, kindly, tell the truth, pray, faith, trust, joy. Love, goodness, kindness—this is what secures our this is what secures our faith. Nothing else. Of course, you have to act and operate in a natural way, but that's just a uh, responsible thing to do. But that's not what guarantees your success, because we don't operate on a natural level. We are godly people. The only thing that works for Jews is godliness. The more alive we are spiritually and godly, the more healthy and successful we'll be. If we're not healthy inside, spiritually healthy or Jewishly healthy. It creates tension within us. That's why Jews created psychology. That's why most psychologists are Jews and that's why most of the patients are Jewish.
0: <laughs> is that right
1: there? <laughs> it is a living proof, living proof. You <laughs> can tell you most of his patients are Jewish. We have right. a Jewish psychologist. It
0: sounds right.
1: You know, Esk- we have one word for snow. I think tomorrow was supposed to snow. Eskimos have 28 words for snow. And snow in the North Pole, the snow and the snow and the snow. Jews have 32 words for neurotic. <laughs> so today it's a mish, a hak, a mishuge, a much. Because a Jew has problems. A Jew has two souls. We have, we're torn inside. We're conflicted. We're mad. We have these two opposite directions. Jews are creating revolutions. Everyone is happy to live nine to five. <laughs> Everyone is happy to go 9 to 5, barbecue, go to the bar, enjoy themselves. A Jew is creating revolutions. Creating communism that almost destroyed half of the world. Created Osloism that brought terrorism to the world. A Jew is constantly making trouble. Feminism, it's all Jewish. (laughs) Benny Friedan. A Jew is always revolutionizing the world. (coughs) Einstein, Freud, Marx. Because a Jew has this, this, this energy, this nuclear energy. And that's what we created in psychology. But of course the only thing that works for a Jew is Judaism, Torah. Hashem knows us. He, he knows us better than we know ourselves. You want a Jew to be sane. <laughs> to take this powerful energy and light up the world with this energy. Because we have a choice. We can destroy the world. We can be a flame that destroys. Or we can be a candle lights up the world. the holy of holies that brings peace and love and kindness and goodness and godliness and wholesomeness and genuineness to the world. It's up to us because we have this powerful energy. So when a Jew cries on Yom and cries in Tisha and dances in Simchas Torah and lights a candle in Hanukkah and drinks L'chaim and Pur, and learns Torah, studies Torah and puts on tefillin, wraps himself up in tefillin and gives tzedakah every day and lives a Jewish life, 613 mitzvah 24-7 men, women and children old and young then we, bring, we become a light we bring light, we transform the world we change the world we bring the essence of God into this world and then the whole universe is connected and centered and aligned, in focus. But when a Jew is out of focus, when we're discombobulated, we're disconnected, especially if, God forbid, we're in exile, we're a self-hating Jew, kicking ourselves out of our own own land, our own country, our own homeland, (coughs) confused, and confused everyone around us, then the world loses focus. The whole world comes out of focus, becomes unglued, And unplug. The whole world is in our heart, is in our hands. We have to know the responsibility. And that's why the non Jews hold us responsible. What do you think is anti Semitism? They look at the Jew, you are responsible. We are suffering because you are are the center, you are the heart. If the heart is not healthy, the whole organism malfunctions. This is dysfunctional. You are the heart, you are the core, you are the essence. Get your act together. Anti-Semitism is a non-Jew's way, funny way of telling the Jew, just get your act together, because until you do, we're all going to suffer. So don't be intimidated by it. On the contrary, be strengthened by it. Realize what the real message is. We have the power to unite the world. The only one who has the power to unite the world is the Jew. Look at anti-Semitism, how we unite the world. The only thing you get the UN to agree on is when it comes to Israel. But we have the power to unite the Jew in a positive way. If every Jew was godly, if every Jew living in the Upper East Side, all 70,000 of us, from the greatest to the smallest, would do one more mitzvah, every one of us would push ourselves, if we don't go to a Torah class once a week, we're going to start going to a Torah class once a week. If we already go to one Torah class, push yourself to go to two Torah classes. If you study Torah on your own, push yourself to learn an extra five minutes of Torah. If every one of us gave an extra penny to stuck, stretch yourself a little, push yourself a little, challenge yourself a little if every one of us every Jew in this world took one baby step forward it would revolutionize human consciousness it would create that critical mass it would hit that home run and the Mashiach would come in one split second it's so doable it's so practical it's so down to earth the Rebbe says we have the keys God gave us the keys we can do it they're not shoving us into mm. ovens anymore the world is hungry for the Jewish message we just have to be coherent speaking Hebrew is not enough Speaking Hebrew but speaking like Goyim with non-Jewish content, that's not going to do it. We have to speak Jewishly. Speak proudly. Speak godly, divine. Torah. Speak with strength. Lead. Because you are the leaders. The whole world is hungry for that leadership because everyone else is clueless. They have no clue. And the only way we're going to get out of this darkness is the Jew has to lead the way. We have the torch, we have the light, we have the Torah. We just have to live it, breathe it, mean it, be sincere. And then it can happen in a split second. We're so close. It's literally up to us. Bani. In addition
0: to saddaka, do you speak to your congregants about tithing, about giving 10% and the significance of that? I, I've never, you know, maybe I need to come up more frequently, but I've never, I've, yes? Okay.
1: You know, If you want to speak about it, it's a pleasure. But uh, the idea of tzedakah we learn in the Tanya, in the Jerusalem Talmud, whenever it refers to a mitzvah out of the 613 mitzvah, when it talks about the mitzvah, the mitzvah, without any adjectives, what's it referring to? Tzedakah. Why is tzedakah the mitzvah? Because it captures the essence and the theme of all the mitzvah. Because money is the ultimate ego symbol. When you take money... And you transform it. Money divides, ego divides, and separates. It divides families. It destroys marriages. It destroys business business partnerships. When you take that energy, and instead you give tzedakah, you create a bond, a connection, a unity. When you help someone in need and physically help them, or help an institution, the unity that you create is so powerful. So you're taking this negative energy and you're transforming it. Talking about transformation. Talking about a wick. How do you become a wick? There's no more powerful way than by giving tzedakah. So when you give tzedakah, and that's why when the Jews first, the immigrants first started coming, the observant immigrants first started coming to America after the war, World War II, the IRS was completely thrown off until they started hiring observant accountants because they looked at the tax returns of observant Jews, and they were stunned. The amount of tzedakah that they gave. I mean, Bill Clinton boasted, I think he, you know, everything is listed. I think he gave his underwear for tzedakah. He gave nothing to tzedakah. And here, observant Jews who were making pennies reported the amount of tzedakah that they gave. And he said, no, this can't be. Based on the amount of tzedakah they gave, they were sure they were hiding their income. They must be making ten times as much as they're reporting. Nobody in America gives tzedakah like this.
0: But tzedakah is different
1: than tithings, isn't it? No, it's tithing is part of tzedakah. That's your obligation. Tzedakah. Exactly, it's your obligation. Tzedakah is not philanthropy. Philanthropy, America knows about. Philanthropy means you give your last dollar bill, your last million. After you're ready, you have a home in the East Hamptons. And you have a home in Park Avenue. And you have a home in the Riviera. And you have a yacht. And you're loaded with money. You don't even know what to do with your money. It's coming out of your ears. <laughs> now I'll think of giving tzedakah. That's philanthropy. That's not tzedakah. The Jew gives his first dollar bill to tzedakah. That's tzedakah. Tzedakah, you're not doing anyone any favors. It's an obligation. You have to give 10%. It's not not your money. It doesn't belong to you. Imagine if you had a partner. And your partner says, you know, I'm going to invest. I'll give you all the money. I'm going to invest. Invest the money. And you keep everything. Just give me 10%. You do the work. I'll give you all the money. and Give me 10% profit. You keep 90%. Would you take that guy as a partner? Are you kidding? That's a great deal. That's what tzedak is. Hashem says, I'm your partner. I'm giving you all the money. Mm -hmm. All I ask is 10%. Keep 90%. Just give me 10%. You wouldn't jump, write a check quickly. You think the rabbi has to call you and beg you and plead with you to schlep out your measly $18? You would sit and write a check and give 10% and give 20%. It depends how you look at it. If you look at it, oh, it's my hard earned money. How can I give my money that I earned to a poor man or to a Jewish institution? But you have to look at it properly. This is a pleasure. It's not my money I'm giving. Hashem says, this is my part. This is my share. I'm your partner. I gave you everything. All I ask of you is 10%. You're begrudging me my 10%. Sometimes people give tzaddak and it's so painful. You just have rahmanas. You want to give it back to them, it's just too painful. <laughs> Don't kill yourself, please. <laughs> That's how you give tzedakah. It's painful. You should run to give tzedakah. You should call the rabbi. Rabbi, here, come pick up my check, please. Because it's about Hashem. That's tzedakah. So when they first saw the amounts of money that Jewish people were giving, middle-income, low-middle-income people were giving, they, they were sure there must be some scandal It took them a long time to realize that this is the Jewish way. We don't give charity. This is not philanthropy, this is tzedakah, it's a Jewish way of life. This belongs to Hashem, I'm not doing anyone any favors. I don't give it begrudgingly, I give it generously, joyfully. And the Jewish custom in every Jewish home, many of you probably remember from your grandmothers, would have a tzedakah box nailed in the kitchen. And every time before you sat down to a meal, breakfast, lunch, or supper, you would put a penny, a dime, a nickel, a quarter in the pushka box. When you're taking care of your own needs, think about a person who's less fortunate than you. And give something to them first. And then it becomes ingrained in you. It's part of you. It's nailed into the house. It's not something temporary. It's part of... It's a fixture. It becomes a fixture. Giving tzedakah becomes a fixture, an inner fixture of how you think, of how you live. That's the ultimate mitzvah. This is the essence of Judaism. It's about transformation. Taking... This is the wick. This is taking the darkness, taking the ego and transforming it into a powerful force for good. It's not about destroying this world. It's about bringing God into this world, making this world a home for God, taking money, the ultimate ego symbol, and transforming it into something godly and holy and noble and wholesome. This is what the essence of Judaism is all about. This is how we become a candle. This is how we nurture and nourish the flame. That's why the deed is what matters most. If a poor man comes to you and he's hungry, and you're going to sit him down and start learning, let me learn with you some deep, Deep uh, Hasidic discourse. Let me teach you what it means to have faith in God. Let me talk to you about the deepest levels of godliness. Forget about it. Dip, dip your hand into your pocket and take out that miserable dollar and give it to him. He needs a piece of bread now. He doesn't need your spirituality. He needs action, deed. This is what matters most in Judaism. And do it with love, with empathy. Don't, don't begrudge. You know, sometimes he gives a duck, and you kill the guy with the duck. You make him feel like a shmata you have to make him feel like a million dollars <coughs> I am doing you a favor you're doing me the biggest favor
0: oh, you give it, without
1: you give you it thank you for doing me the favor you, it's a beautiful explanation me. by the Chassam Sefer it says in the Talmud if someone, loses, if someone gives a, a money for tzedakah and he says I'm giving this money because my son is critically ill and I want to give this tzedakah so my son should be saved in the merit of this of this mitzvah this is a complete tzedakah very troubling, what do you mean a complete tzedakah? he's giving it for ulterior motives He's not giving it for pure motive. He's giving it to save his son's life. So Chassam says is something so beautiful, so original. He says, you know, you know you know what the Talmud means here? You come to the poor person. The poor person is so shattered. He, he feels so terrible, so miserable. I am dependent on the goodness of another human being. People are so selfish. People are so self-centered. It's humiliating. I have to come and beg. I need a piece of bread. I'm going to die. You know, the person who stopped the, stopped the actress in Hollywood and he says, I haven't eaten in three days. He says, Oi, I envy you. You know, please. <laughs> the, the person is dying. You know, it's humiliating. That I need, I have to depend on another human being. So you come to the person, he's so broken hearted. So this person says, no, you don't understand. It's not I am doing you a favor. Please, do me the favor. When you take my tzadaka, you're saving my son's life. Ooh. This is a tzaddik. This is a complete tzaddik. To make the poor man feel like a million dollars. To lift up his spirits. Not just giving tzaddaka. But how you give tzaddaka. You give it with a smile. You don't give it with a nasty face. <laughs> you take it. And the guy has to go schlepping and begging you and pleading you. And by the time he's done, it's just not worth the whole hassle. You know, for your miserable $18. But you, you make the person feel like a million dollars. Please, I'm doing you a favor. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for giving me. That's a complete tzaddik. That's how a Jew gives tzedakah. You give it in a godly way, in an eagoless way. You give it in a beautiful way. This is, this is how a Jew does a mitzvah. This is what Judaism is about. This is what Hasidus is about. It's the deed. It's the deed that matters most. But you also have need that refinement, that sensitivity, that love, that depth, that spirituality, that compassion. How you do it with an egoless way, in a godly way, in a good way.
0: I, never have to ask, I should never feel embarrassed yeah. or ashamed it also says that because right. when you have to ask for somebody it's very, you do right. feel embarrassed and
1: ashamed Right, and that's the reason you feel empathy because it says why did God create need in this world God is perfect, why didn't God create a perfect world everyone should be self-sufficient why God is so perfect, why did he create such an imperfect world there are those who have and they have the nots and it's not just financially in every level You have the teacher and you have the student. You have why did God create the world in such a way the world dependent? You know, you need someone who has in order to provide. And the answer is because God is perfect, He created the most perfect world. Because God gave us the ability to be godly and godlike, to become partners with God in creation. Because when we give, we become creators. We are participants in creation. We become godly. What does God do? God gives and we receive. God made us into givers. He gave us the ultimate gift. He gave us the ability to be godly and godlike. In heaven, they don't have that ability. In heaven, God gives and they receive. And they bask in God's light. But they don't have the ability to become givers and creators. This is the most perfect world of all. This physical world is the most perfect world of all. Because this gives us the ability to become givers. To become godly and godlike. And that's why God created this inequality. Inequality of haves and have-nots in order that we should become godly we should be givers and, God should, and, and there's the rich and the poor but the poor man says I understand all of this why do I have to be in the receiving end? <laughs> I would rather be the giver you be the receiver and that's why you have to have empathy of course you know that this is godly but you have to empathize with the poor man because I know that I'm not better than him there for the grace of God go I why am I successful and he's not successful? Your brother told me he was into music. Right, he was making movies about the musicians on subways, Doug. So he told me that many of these musicians that you play, that you see playing, he did a whole documentary in them. Many of them are more brilliant, and more talented
0: mm-hmm.
1: than musicians who are successful. Yeah. therefore for the grace of God go I. He's sitting in a subway collecting pennies, yeah. and this guy is making millions. And he's not talented. Yeah. And he's ugly to beat and he's a horrible personality and he's successful and this guy who's a beautiful person brilliant, talented Nebuch yeah. so dear for the grace of God why is he successful why am I successful and he not he's, I'm not better than him so therefore you empathize with the poor person in order to achieve this godly plan I could have been in the receiving end why does he have to be the one in on the receiving end that's why you have to give you have to give with empathy and feeling I am.